are talking about identity. We have a few highlights that I want to share with you today. Um, first of all is that intimacy, identity, inheritance, this is our first beginning of the year. Every year we focus on these foundational truths of who we are and we feel like who we are as a church and how Jesus has called us to walk out this relationship with him. And so there is a online lwrv.org. There is a, uh, a page there that you can take and you can go on a, on a journey, a quest for 90 days, 30 days on intimacy, 30 days on identity, and 30 days on inheritance. Just individual days, each day a different devotional, a different prayer, a different activation, a highlight on a different scripture. And it's a really powerful way for you to get this intimacy, identity, inheritance deep into your heart. And then also we want to invite you, if you are new to following Jesus or are making a fresh commitment to following Jesus, you can go to that same spot, lwrv.org slash hub. And on there is a quest as well where you can connect with us. We'll connect with you, but there's also a journey that you can take of different scriptures and different things that we want you to learn from the word about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, before I jump into identity this morning and teach on it, I wanted to simply bring a, a, a pastoral encouragement um, to you, and I, and I want us to pray together. And um, the reason I want to encourage you is, is this is that when things are, are going bad, when things are extremely rough, it's, it's easy for us to forget that God is working good and he is redeeming everything that we see happening around us. And so in culture right now, you can look out there and every single naysayer, every single prophet and prognosticator, they're all sharing this, this doom and gloom and everything is falling apart and it's the worst that it could possibly be. It's the worst that it's ever been. And, and we can start to get caught up in that story and we can get caught up in that narrative and we start to forget that God is working for good in everything that we are walking in, whether that's personally, individually, in your marriage, in your, in your place, in the marketplace, in your school, or wherever in between, he is working for good, including our world. And when we forget that, we can start to look at some of the exits that are presented to us to step out of that story, out of that journey that he has us on. Because walking into God's goodness through difficult things means that we don't hit the eject button halfway through. We may not discover his goodness in the land of the living if halfway through the process of getting there, we eject into our own solutions, into our own comforts, into our own belief systems that are broken and failing, whatever it is. If we take those temptations, those exits of temptation to short circuit the work that God is doing, we can miss some of the good that he is doing. And so I want to encourage us just to be remaining in that. John 15 says this, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. This is Jesus talking about us being grafted in and being bearing fruit in our lives. And, but the challenge that Jesus gives is to remain. Will we remain with him and in him through whatever is ahead, no matter what, believing, not that we're in survival mode, but believing that we're actually in redemption mode, that we get to see the goodness of God being redeemed and being brought out of everything that's going on in this time. And so that's my encouragement to you just pastorally, is to remember that he is still the God who redeems. He is the God who redeems every situation, and he is working his redemptive purposes for his church and for his gospel right now 
everywhere around us. And if we start looking for exits instead of the miracles of what he's doing, we will be more prone to bailing out of this journey towards his goodness that he's weaving into everything that's going on. So would you join me for a few minutes today in praying for individually, if you could put before him something that you're walking through or physical, we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still healing and working miracles. And that's not only in physical bodies, that's also in relationships, that's also in futures, that's in the different places where we are looking for him to show up, but it's also in our nation. And so let's grab onto a place in our hearts where we're saying, God, I want to see you as the redeemer, even in this. And let's pray together from here in this room or home as you're joining us. Father, we thank you that you are and have always been the redeemer. The story that we were invited into through Jesus is a redemptive story. And you are still working your redemptive purposes today. And so we look at all the things that are going on around us and whether someone is praying this morning for an individual thing as near and dear to them as a, as a pain in their knee or if we're all standing here as a church looking at our nation and looking across the world and knowing that this week is so ripe for brokenness and for, for violence and for division and for things to happen that we're all looking at this and we're in an interesting time as a church where we may be saying, God, we want to see your redemption, but different people in this room and different people who are listening to this are even imagining and thinking that redemption looks different. And so, God, we choose in our humility not to put a redemptive story onto what you're doing. And instead of putting our solutions and our story onto our prayers, we just say, God, work as the redeemer of all things. And this is what you've done, and this is what you will continue to do. And so we do pray for our nation, God. And even if we can't agree exactly what we're praying for, we do pray for redemptive purposes and for peace. You are the Prince of Peace and that you would bring peace and you teach us to pray for the peace of the city that we find ourselves in. We believe that to be true of the nation that we find ourselves in. And that our, when all is said and done, that our question and our prayer wouldn't be, did we win? Did we get something that we needed? But our, our prayer and our question would be, how do we continue to move the gospel and the kingdom and the truth of Jesus Christ forward in whatever climate, whatever environment we find ourselves in? And I think that's something that we can all agree on. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys for praying with me. Um, as I said, this week, we are focusing on identity. And you've heard there's times when you're hanging out at a family dinner and, and somebody starts a story that you've heard 600 times and they say, if you've heard this one, stop me. And you're like, okay, stop enough. But I'm not going to say that to you because you have heard this. If you've been around here for any number of months, you have heard this message. This is the message of our heart. And this is a passion of our house. And if you haven't heard this, I am so excited for you to hear this today. But I'm not going to say if you've heard this before, stop me. Because a lot of you would be like, okay, enough, Ryan. We're going to talk about identity. And if I could, I would teach on this every week of the year. Because I love what Jesus has accomplished. And when the gospel invites us into the person of Christ, what it does for who we are. We could never get to the end of celebrating and studying the completed work of Christ and how it affects us in relation to him and in relation to others. There's a book that I would love for you to read if this is new to you or some of the things that I share this morning are new to you or maybe a little bit different perspective or just a tiny tweak on how you've been taught or, 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 or way, the way that you've been brought in through your discipleship journey in Christ. 
um, is reading this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's been around, I think, about 15 years, maybe a little bit more. And um, if you haven't read it, read it. And uh, if you've been around here for, the while, for a while and you haven't read it, read it, please read it. And if you're new, go, go grab it. Um, some have asked me, why does this, this message of identity mean so much to me? And I think as a father and understanding this desire that I have in, for my kids to know that their father loves them and to know who they are in that love and that they would rise into it. I, that's a passion for me as a father and I can only imagine how much more true that is of God. That he looks at you and he looks at me and says, I want them to know who they are. I want them to know that they are loved. I want them to know that they are seen and that's his passion. And last week, we talked about intimacy, walking into that love relationship with God as that foundation piece. And we said uh, from Tozer, his quote, that said, what comes to mind when someone thinks about God is the most important thing about them. And I believe that to be absolutely true. But I think the second most important thing about us is probably what we believe about ourselves in relation to that revelation of God. Because what I believe about God is going to determine my relationship with him, but what I believe about myself is going to determine my relationship with the world around me. It's going, to be, it's going to affect and influence the way that I live out everything in my life because of who I believe I am. But it begins with who we believe God is and desiring that fresh revelation and then walking that out. And so we want this piece of identity to be such a a celebration point, but a yearly and continuous teaching point that we come into revelation of what Jesus has accomplished. So bear with me as we read some scriptures of the gospel of Jesus of what he did accomplish and how that affects our position in him and our identity. Let's begin with one that you have memorized, possibly John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. Colossians 1.13, in, in response to that or because of that, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into his kingdom of the son that he loves. And Romans 6.1 takes it even further and I'm going to read some of Paul's words, quite a, 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 a solid section here. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't we know, are some of you looking at this, the, your sheet going, is he talking from the sheet? I'm sorry, put the sheet aside. <laughs> Forget about it for just a minute. I see you, you're like, where is he? I don't even know where he is on this sheet. He gave me a sheet. I'm lost. I apologize. Listen to me. Stop. All right, so John 3.16, Colossians 1.13, and then Romans 6.1 tells this story of what Jesus has accomplished. And he goes on in Romans 6, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is one of the beautiful pictures of why in, in following Jesus, we start with baptism. Because Jesus was baptized, but also the way that the early authors who wrote these letters to the church were always talking about the power of baptism. Paul is saying, when we were baptized, we were baptized into Jesus' death. And we were aligning with his death that we would be raised into his new life. So we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the, to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. This is the identity transition. We believe that we also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. In the same way, you, me, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Which reminds us of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You've all heard this verse. You've all memorized this verse. You've all quoted this verse. But what does it truly mean for our day-to-day identity and understanding of who we are and how we walk this out. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Which makes us think of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All things have been made new. The journey of scriptures that I just laid out for you, that God loved us so much that he sent his son, but his son died and rose again. And in that power, we are now, we can die with him in that invitation and we are alive with him in that place. And now the redemptive work is that everything in our life has been made new through our relationship with Jesus from a father who sent his son that we would be brought back into through his life and death and resurrection, we would be brought back into a family and being in a family allows us to understand an identity. And so the powerful reality of what has taken place is that he's saying, I have redeemed everything so that you can sit at my table without shame or separation. All things have been made new. Religion wants to just disconnect you and ignore and forget your past. But what Jesus has accomplished actually wants to redeem your past. It's not enough to just say, oh, from this moment forward, forget everything that's behind you. Just follow Jesus, Christianity and religion. Strive and follow Jesus. Forget what's behind you. Ignoring the fact that your story, your trauma, your hurts, your pains, your family of origin, all of these things are still entangled with your reality today. We can't just religiously ignore them. We have to actually see his redemption take place in those areas by saying he has made all things new. And all things new means I get to walk out that newness, not just in the future or in the present. I get to experience it in my past as well. And so the work of Christ has redeemed you into family and established a fresh identity that is redemptive toward everything that would lie to you or speak to you about who you really are. And that's the powerful journey that we've taken in Christ, and that is the constant invitation that we have. Listen, Jesus isn't just a way. He isn't just a truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life, and no one comes to that father, that redemptive father relationship to be a son or a daughter except through what Jesus has accomplished, and that's the beauty of what we're talking about. If you are in Christ, 
and Christ is in you right now, whose nature do you carry? Whose nature do you exist within? Christ's. It's not something you're earning or striving for religiously, something out in the future, because that's dependent on you. But what we celebrate here at Living Waters is how do, we, how do we live out what Jesus has given to us freely and say, I want to access this right here, right now, without striving and without having to put a bunch of legalistic restrictions on every single person that we want to learn to live and operate in the freedom of who Christ is. And because of all of this that we've talked about that Jesus did, we are invited into this relationship that brings us face to face with the Father. And face-to-face with him brings us revelation. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we come to God and this what was between us, the shame and the sin and the veil that existed before, Christ has dealt with that. So as we come and we say, we say, Father, God, here is all of the sin in my life. I feel like this separates us. Here is all the shame in my life. I feel like this separates us. Here it is, all of it. And we, and we pour it out before him because we feel that veil that it creates. And we, and we confess and we repent and we lay it down and we see that Jesus has, has dealt with it entirely. And that veil is torn if you will, like the physical veil that was torn at Christ's death. That veil that separated us is torn, and now we get to behold God because of Christ. We get to behold God and see him for who he is. And what happens when we see him without the shame and without the sin and without that separation is that we are then transformed by his presence and by his spirit and by his glory ever more into Christ-likeness. How incredible is this for our identity? How do you find your identity in Christ? Get the book, the handbook, and just do all the discipleship programs and follow all the rules and do all of the things. Is that how you become more Christ-like? No. The way that you come more, become more Christ-like is understanding that Christ made a way where there was absolutely no way, and you can stand before God in intimacy. And in that intimate place, you can be transformed into ever more Christ-likeness. You can't accomplish this with a checklist or a program or by following some kind of ritualistic, religious, performance-based journey. You find this by humbling yourself and accepting the completed work of Christ and being invited in, stepping through and letting your guilt and shame be blasted off of your story and that you would be able to walk and stand before him and be transformed transformed is what we want and so often what we do in church is that we that we figure out these programs and we can change people really really slowly but what we want to see is people transformed by the presence of God into Christ's likeness that's what we're promised and so that's what we're asking for and that's what this revelation is all about it has to be a personal revelation Matthew 16 Jesus is hanging out with his disciples And he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asks, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this revelation of who I am, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Can we talk for 10 seconds about the position of the church in culture is not to be defensive. We are not to be saying, oh, culture's going to win. We're in a war. We're, we're losing. We're losing. We're losing. Um, if we build our church on the revelation of who God is and who Jesus says we are, not even the gates of hell stand up against the church alive and moving. So we don't have to be panicked by what's going on in culture around us. The culture should be panicked by what's going on inside of us and in our relationship with the Father who is releasing us supernaturally to go into all the world as salt and light and spread a gospel and move in the kingdom in powerful ways that are unmistakable, right? And so why is it that in culture we posture ourselves as if we have to hide from what's out there and protect this little piece of the pie that we have? Jesus is saying, if you live in this revelation of who I am and who Christ is, nothing, nothing will stand against this kind of church. And we don't like being refined, but let me tell you, we're being refined right now. We don't like being challenged, but let me tell you, we're being challenged right now. We don't like our comforts and our ease and our usuals being taken from us and stripped away from us, but they are. And we're going to come back to the basics again. And the basics are this, who is the Father? Who is Jesus? And who does God say that we are? And when we move in that, nothing, nothing, nothing in all of creation, no height nor depth, nor darkness, nor evil, nor anything is going to separate us from the call and the purpose that God has or his love for us and his love through us. But let me show you what happened in this passage of Scripture before I went on my little tangent. Jesus said, who do you say I am? They answered, some say you're this, some say you're that. And he had to stop them and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up. And I want to say this wasn't just one moment of, tra- of like revelation for Peter, okay? Get this. You're not, we're, not, we're not looking for this aha moment. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. And out of those three years, in walking with Jesus, he was being able to position himself for God to say, this is who he is. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. And so he walked in that place of receiving that revelation. And when he was able to speak that back to God, I know and see who you are. That was the moment in the place where God could then speak to Peter and said, good, now let me show you who you are. Revelation shows us who God is. And when we grasp who God is, he can speak to us about who we are. Too many of us, As sons and daughters are living disconnected from the Father and we're trying to earn his affection and we're trying to find our place. And all that does is it sends us scurrying around and wearing ourselves out instead of saying, wait, I want to see who you are. And if I just focus my eyes on you and on you alone and have continuing revelation of who Jesus is and who the Father is, that out of that place, he will be able to impart to you and to me our identity and our purpose. It isn't, it isn't earned or isn't worked up. We don't need any more some say Christians. No more who would say, hey, if God came to me and said, who am I to you? Who am I? 
that we would look around and go, well, my church says that you're like this, and my, my wife or my husband says that you're like this. Some say that you're this, and some say that you're like that. Some say you're like this. Culture says that I should be responding to you this way, and this preacher says I should be doing this, and this thing says this, and, and Jesus would just go, no, 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 no. No more some say Christians. I want to know who you say that I am. And if we can't answer that from a personal revelation and a personal encounter, then we're reliant on a religious system and we're reliant on other people's voices and other people's teachings to tell us who Jesus is. But when it comes from personal revelation and we say, no more, I want to say this is who you are. No more some say, no more maybe you're this or maybe you're that, that Jesus is asking you today, who do you say that I am? And your answer to that is going to change your life. And then when he speaks who you are out of that relationship, you get to rise to that in faith. So you have this revelation, you have this intimacy, you're able to see who Jesus is, and out of that kind of relationship, Jesus is able to begin to talk to you about who you are and what your identity is in Christ, and then you have a choice by faith. Am I going to rise up into who Jesus says that I am, or am I going to live low and continue to live numb, continue to live taking these exit routes and succumbing to temptation and being below who he has called me to be? And that's our choice that we have. But the invitation and the encouragement I have for you today is that we would rise up to it in faith. Here's my, also my encouragement. This isn't going to sound as encouraging, though. When you rise into who he says that you are and you start to step into that identity, it will be tested. It will be challenged. And that's okay because the way that identity is, is challenged, the way that it becomes core to who you are is that it withstands the test and the opposition. If you say, I am such and such, I live in such and such a way, and nobody ever challenges that, and there's no circumstances in your life that ever come against that, you haven't established anything because the moment that a storm hits, there's a good chance you're going to be like, I'm just kidding. I want my comfort more than I want his heart and his purpose, right? And we throw this stuff away and we, we grab on, but when things are testing us and we choose to hold on to the revelation of who he says that we are and we fight for it, that is establishing this as a core foundation, identity, who we are, and it will be challenged. In Luke 4, we have this story of Jesus and he's baptized. And John the Baptist is baptizing him and um, and, he, and Jesus comes up out of the water. And as, this is another reason that we say, hey, being baptized is so important. As Jesus was baptized, we want to be baptized in the beginning of our journey with Christ. And so Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist as he came up out of the water. What happened? The heavens parted, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, came and rested on Jesus. And the Father spoke identity over him. He said, you are my son, I love you, and I am proud of you. And so this is that moment where Jesus has fresh identity spoken over him, and it's wonderful, and everyone says, yay, there was baptism, there was, there was the Spirit falling like a dove on him, and, the, and this voice spoke from heaven. Like, wouldn't we all love to have that as our moment of identity being spoken over us? But then what happened? Did he go straight into his ministry and his call and his purpose? No. The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Why? To test this reality that was just spoken over him. Would he hold this identity that the Father spoke over him in this season of testing? And so Jesus was led out into the wilderness 
And you guys may know the story, but here's what happened. He fasts for 40 days as he is establishing and rooting himself in what his father speaks over him. And then the, the enemy comes to him and says, are you hungry? He says, yeah, I'm hungry. Why don't you make these rocks into bread and prove that you're the son of God? This was the question that the enemy had. Are you really the son that he says that you are? Why don't you do this? And then he took him to a high place and said, look at, or, uh, look at all the, the, the powers of the world. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the power in the world that you could ever need. And Jesus says no, and he says no. And then he takes him to the temple in the center of, of, of the community, and he says, throw yourself down off of this high place, and God's going to save you. All the people will see it, and they will worship you, and won't it be amazing? You'll get the very thing that you're on earth to have. And so the enemy was offering him these shortcuts to what God was asking him to do. He was asking him to release his identity and what the Father had spoken over him and settle for these shortcuts that were being placed before him. And Jesus said no to all of those. And what happened is he walks out of that. He got to experience this considerate James, considerate pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When identity was spoken over Jesus, it was challenged and then it was established. When identity is being fought for in your life, it will be challenged. And when you stand in it, it will be established. The enemy wants to give you shortcut to meaning, shortcuts to purpose, shortcuts to the things that you desire in life, shortcuts to the, to the influence that you want, shortcuts to all of these things. The things that the enemy was offering to Jesus were not inherently bad or wrong. In fact, they were the very things that he received when in his ascension he was enthroned back with his father. But Jesus had to walk a pathway where his identity called him to a specific purpose that the enemy couldn't hijack it with shortcuts because he stayed true to who the Father said he was. How many of us are settling for shortcuts in areas of our identity where instead of staying true to who the Father says that we are, we're settling for quick fixes and these solutions that aren't what God ultimately wants for us because we don't want to be challenged the Spirit is leading us into desert places. The Spirit is leading us even in hard times. The Spirit is leading us even when we're being confronted. And what, we're ask, what he's asking us is to hold on to who he says that we are in the midst of it, even considering it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we're developing perseverance, bringing us into maturity and completeness. Because Jesus walked into the desert. When you read this passage of Scripture, you'll see this, and I love it. Jesus walked into this desert, and it said that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. But when he came out, it said that he was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. What was it that transpired from Jesus going from full of the Spirit to actually in the power of the Spirit? His identity was established. And he fought for it. And he came alive in it. And then he was able to walk out and move in his ministry in power. He confronted the lies against his identity and he established his identity in what the Father had spoken over him. And that was the death of the false self. This is uh, make, these, make these rocks into bread. I am what I do. Worship me and you can have all of this of the world. I am what I have. Fall, throw yourself off the temple and be caught and let the people see God do perform an amazing miracle and they'll all celebrate you. I am defined by what people think of me. 
These are the lies that he was confronting and that you and I have to confront in our life to be able to walk fully in the identity of who Christ has called us to be. Let me ask you this. Have you answered Jesus' question, who do you say I am, with some say you're this and some say you're that, instead of this is who I have, it's been revealed to me that you are? Are you finding identity in Christ or are you finding identity in your false self? Are you finding identity in what you do, in what you have, in what people think of you? And my final question for you today is this. Are you allowing the Spirit to lead you into desert places where you can be confronted into the, from the shortcuts and the easy fixes and the places where you have found identity in false things and let go of those and see that your identity is established in who the Father says you are, that you can then walk in power of His Spirit. Today I want you to hear this. In Christ you are who God says you are. You can do everything that He says you can do. You carry the things that He says that you carry. You release the promises that He has spoken over your life and that Scripture says that you carry. You are in him and I want to I want you to know and hear this is that there is no shortfall in your life when you say yes to Jesus and you come into his identity of who he says that you are I want us to stop conceding defeat in this area of identity I want us to stop ignoring it when these difficult times that we're in right now are revealing places where you've anchored your identity to false hope I want us to go willingly into those hard places and consider it pure joy when we face trials and pushback because that is the only place where we're going to truly establish what we believe and how we're going to walk in who the Father says that we are. Ultimately, you will live out who you believe you are. Behavior, your behavior, it doesn't determine your identity. It actually reveals where it's rooted. So what we're living out of is the fact that we will act out of what we believe to be true and what our Father believes about us. So this is why I gave you that sheet. Now you can grab that sheet and we're just going to take the next six hours and go through them one by one. You're going to love this. If you guys are at home and you're watching this, we have the link for you to this, to this same sheet that we're handing out here this morning. And you guys can download that, or I think it might take you to a web page. But I want you to look at this. How, how is it that we're going to have revelation and have, have fresh insight into who we are? It's going to be through His Word. His Word is active and alive. And as we spend time meditating on His Word, on who He says that we are, we get that place of revelation and then as things push back on that identity that's being imparted to us and revealed to us, we remain in it, and it gets stronger. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take this home, and I want you to spend this week or this month or however long it takes, and I want you to, to pray and ask Holy Spirit to meet you in each one of these scriptures and just spend time allowing them to go deep, deep into your heart, that this would be how your identity is established. We want you to know the greatness of who you are in Christ. And too often we want to tell people the greatness of who they are and we end the sentence there. But here we want you to know the greatness of who you are in Christ and what it means to be a part of a family and what the Father has brought you into. 
We also want you to have this stirring in your heart of a, what we, we say around here, this phrase, holy discontent. That you would have this holy discontent with any area of your life where you are settling, where you are shortcutting, where you are numbing, where you are living below the identity that the Father has spoken over you in Christ. Not guilting you not shaming you. We just pray that the Spirit would begin to hover over that area of your life and just poke at it and annoy you in it, that there would be just a discontentment that you can't shake that would go, wait a minute, I think there's more places of identity that he's trying to reveal to me and I have attached them to shortcuts, or I have attached them to what people think of me, or what I have, or whatever it is. And I want to take those places back. And I want to attach them back to what the Father says of me, and that you would have that holy discontent with any of those places. And upon the power of God's word that you're holding, and that we teach from here, I declare emphatically what the truth is, that you are deeply loved. This is your identity. You are deeply loved. You are completely forgiven. You are fully pleasing. You are totally accepted. You are complete in Christ. When you come into relationship with Jesus, it says that you stand before the Father holy and blameless without a single fault. How powerful is it if we would grasp that as our identity and not let religion, it's, religion is screaming it at you right now in this room. Yeah, but. Don't you know your past? No, he made all things new. And you stand before him holy and blameless, complete in Christ, completely loved, completely forgiven, entirely free. This is where your identity stems from. Your culture, your family of origin, all of the fear and the anger and the animosity that's out there, all of that stuff is yelling at us to find our identity in anything other than the peace of being in the family of God through the completed work of Christ. It's not our possession, it's not our talents, it's not our applause from other people that we're going to find security in. We are only going to find security in a surrendered life to Jesus that is anchored in who the Father says that we are. And so my plea with you, my encouragement to you today is to define yourself as a child of God immensely loved by Him. And that you would hear the Father speaking over you the same thing that He spoke over Jesus. You are my son. I love you. And I'm pleased with you. That that would be the beginning point of your journey into identity. You are my daughter. I love you and I am proud of you. That that would be the beginning point of your journey into identity. And nothing and no one could strip that away from you. You are my child. You belong to me. And I love you. I'm proud of you. Before Jesus accomplished anything, before he performed any miracles, before he did any of that stuff, this is what the Father spoke over him. It's not contingent upon what you do.
because he sees you and he loves you. Do not give that place up on the battlefield of identity. I don't have to earn my father's love. I don't have to earn my father's affection. I don't have to earn my father's attention. He has given it to me in Christ, and when I stand in Christ, I get to stand face to face with him and be transformed by his presence evermore into Christ-likeness. You are loved. You are seen. You are valued. He's pleased with you. You're his son and you're his daughter. Awesome. We love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today as we spend this week on identity. Our challenge is, is that you would continue to dive into this stuff. Take that sheet home with you and, uh, and just spend time with it, letting Holy Spirit speak to you from his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys. Have a great Sunday. We love you.